Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles. I am Donnie, your host, and with me is a man who took the midnight train going anywhere but ended up at the Crack House. It's Dale. What's happening, man? What's going on, man? It's good to be back. Back in the house of crack. The crack about, house. How about yeah. That little New York groove grooving there. Yeah, we took a little time off. Dale was working the fair. He wasn't guessing people's weight or anything. <laughs> you, yeah. uh, I think you've been doing that for a long time, haven't you? I have been doing that a long time. I don't want to say how long because I'm old. But I've been doing it probably since uh, 80, 81. Because oh. I'm old. Yeah. So since uh, junior high. Okay. So it's something, yeah. Something, something like, me and my dad always did. Yeah. I yeah, remember. He got me into it. Yeah. yeah. So it's something something to keep up, a good tradition to do, and, and I know you enjoy doing it. Yeah, I'm running to a lot of people, a lot of fun. Running to a lot of fans of the show, actually. Um, giving out stickers. Giving out some stickers, sign a few autographs, maybe. Maybe I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not telling. But, uh, yeah. You really sign autographs? Yeah. Maybe. Really? Okay, maybe not. Okay. We can leave it. You, you had me. You had me there for a minute. <laughs> well, really? Yeah. You signed autographs? Actually, I have signed a few autographs. Well, have you or have you not? I have. Dang. How about that? That's cold. How about them apples? That's very cold. I don't I had to sign I'm shout out to the color boys on the French fry wagon. You know, Keith and uh, Keith and Dennis and Ron and Cootie. Shout out, boys. They're all fans of the show. A couple of them got shirts and stickers. So Awesome. Good guys, the, the colors. Good guys. Colors French fries. That's right. Man, they got some good fries. Vinegar fries, oh man. Best of the best. Absolutely. Shout out to Jimbo too. All right. Glad you're doing well, friend. All right, Dale, we're going to get into this episode of the Crack House Chronicles. I am ready. And I'm going to tell you, the story we've got, it set the standard as far as searching for missing persons. Yeah, what to do and what not to do. This, This story, it set the bar on what to do. And what not to do, like Dale said. All right. This takes place on Father's Day weekend of 1969. On June 14th, 1969, Dennis Lloyd Martin, along with his brother Douglas Martin, and his father Bill, and his grandfather Clyde, and some family friends who had two young boys, went camping for Father's Day weekend in the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. Now, Dale, I think this was a tradition they had going on. Yeah, they uh, they did this every Father's Day weekend, I think. Yeah. This it, was Dennis's first trip, though, I believe. Yeah, and they had done it for quite a while, and they were going to do some camping that weekend. Now, when Dale, we we brought this uh, the story up, uh, you know, I'd, I had heard about it, but I didn't know much about it. And I guess maybe 10, 12 years ago, I had been through this area where this took place. And at the time, I didn't know about this story, so I can I can tell you what this this terrain is like. That's pretty neat. I've never been. I've not even been to Cades Cove actually. Yeah, you need to go sometimes. Pretty pretty freaking awesome. All right. Dennis and his family were from Knoxville, Tennessee. His dad was an architect, and Dennis, who was six years old at the time, was almost seven. I think he was like what a few weeks from being seven. Yeah, not far at all. Yeah, and they were camping at Cage Cove. They were going to hike from Cage Cove to Russell Field. And this was in Tennessee. Right, right on the border, the North Carolina-Tennessee border. Yes. It's a pretty good hike from Cage Cove to Russell Field. It's farther than I'm walking. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The most I've ever hiked in one day is 20. 
Well, which you got me by about twenty. Well, which I get a, I get made fun of because a good friend of mine, DC Swafford, says I only hike nineteen point four miles. So but we're counting it as twenty. You go round that on up, aren't you? Well, we rounded it way up to twenty. <laughs> so, and what I did on twenty miles was pretty flat. It wasn't rugged like this. This straight up mm, from the foliage. This up. area from Cage Cove to Russellfield is strenuous. It's not for your average hiker. It's it's tough. So this was like I said, this was an annual event that uh, Dennis and his family did. But this was Dennis's first trip. All right. Did you ever see how old his grandfather was? I did not. I didn't either, but I was wondering because I knew you had said about the how rugged the terrain was, and I was wondering what his age was. I'm thinking Bill, the dad, was around 30. Oh, okay, so he's probably 50s. 50. Yeah. yeah, early 50s, somewhere along there, probably. <laughs> Hard to tell, but yeah. All right. The Martin family set out from Cades Cove Campground. They continued for several more miles, and it was a summer day. I mean, this was Father's Day weekend. And they had moved along the Leadbetter Ridge, which was the left side of the Anthony Creek, and made their final walk of the day to Russell Field, which is uh, it's a grassy clearing in a forest with a panoramic view. And the Martins camped that night at Russell Field. And the next morning, on June the 14th, they had an, about a 90-minute walk to Spence Field. It's not far at all. Pretty pretty easy hike. Ninety minutes would be, I don't know, a couple miles, mile and a half, two miles somewhere along there. It wouldn't be much at all. After they were at Spence Field, it was later in the afternoon. The boys, along with the other family that they had met there, and uh, just to clarify this, Dale, this other family, uh, they were Martins also. Right, but they weren't related, right? No, they were not. We're not related. Just, <clears throat> just a coincidence. They had this whole pack of Martins. And... Yeah, they just coincidentally had the last name, but they were not related. All right, but the boys from the two families, they were playing a game of hide and seek in the grassy area of Spence Field. And Dale, what they were planning to do was sneak up and scare the adults. Right. They were hiding in the brush and just playing, just being boys. Um. At the time, Dennis was wearing a bright red shirt, and the other three boys didn't want him hiding with them. Yeah, they didn't want to uh, give away their position in the woods. Yeah. So he hid by himself, and the other three boys went in their direction. It says that Dennis went northwest toward the Appalachian Trail and disappeared into the forest. And it was literally a few minutes later, the boys jumped out of the woods but Dennis was nowhere to be seen. And it was like, it wasn't just a, a few minutes, three, I've read anywhere from three to five minutes had passed and without anyone spotting or even hearing Dennis. And at that point, Bill Martin, Dennis's dad began calling out to him and Bill then followed the Appalachian, Appalachian Trail for about a mile before heading back. And he headed west again, this time all the way back to Russell Field. Which is where they came from that morning, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah which was uh, like a 90-minute walk. So and re he returned to Spence Field, but there was no sign of Dennis at all. I mean, he just, he was there one minute and gone the next. And I uh, said that uh, actually Bill was kind of peeking on him while they were hiding and actually seen where he went before all this happened, and then he never popped out, right? That's right. All right. 
while the boy's father was making the journey, the grandfather Clyde, he made his way all the way back down to Anthony Creek at Cade's Cove, which was a distance, it says, I've read about eight and a half miles. But, you know, I've read anywhere it could be up to 10 to 12. So, you know, it just depends on, I guess, your source. It's a pretty good walk. Yeah, eight and a half miles, <clears throat> yeah. Of course, I guess he had a determined, determined stride. Yeah, when you when you under... I guess you got adrenaline going. You don't think about stuff like right. that. Yeah, you just gotta hurry up and get there. All right, all right, Dale. He reached the ranger station just a little before eight thirty p.m. And that's when he was telling the situation, getting help. And it was really about this time it started to rain. Yeah, heavily. A bad rain. It, it's a pretty that, big storm. Right? It was a big storm. Thunder, <clears throat> lightning. And they received almost three inches of rain that night. That's a lot of rain. Yeah. So. You know, any tracks that Dennis would have made would have been washed away. Everything. Creeks were swollen. Rivers were swollen. And this area, I, I've been through here, and it, it is not its not flat by any means. There are, there are ravines and cliffs. It is it's rough terrain. It is very rocky terrain. And, Dale, what's weird about this, in common with many disappearances in national parks, bad weather always seems to hit the immediate area immediately following or within hours always hampering rescue efforts especially for sniffer dogs it's pretty ironic how that happens in this like, yeah it's like you know it's like can't get bad enough and it just gets a little worse bad luck you know they wouldn't have no have no luck at all the specialist searchers began searching for dennis the following days and even the green berets showed up now i've read places and you have read places where you heard that the green berets were called in yeah. And I've, I've even heard that they were just just happened to be in the area. Yeah, it's all kind of like, different. Like they were doing a training in the area. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, the Green Berets <laughs> were there, and they weren't having much to do with the other searchers. No, they're kind of sticking to themselves, no contact with other groups, just kind of radio between themselves. At this time, Dale, the search group increased to about 1,400 people, which, like we said at the beginning of this episode, this set the standard for searchers and search parties and how they conducted their efforts in finding people. 1,400 people, it, they were stomping up the ground. It was crazy, and they were flying them in with helicopters. Yeah. And also, several more inches of rain washed clues away in addition to the hordes of people, and the weather made roads too muddy to travel even by vehicle. Helicopters began transporting search crews from Cage Cove to the mountaintop, but fog quickly kept them grounded. They couldn't even get a helicopter in the air. Yeah, it was crazy. It was like 1,100 different sorties went up before they got grounded. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's crazy. That's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Now, sometime later, a family reported hearing a small boy scream in the woods. This was the Harold Key family. Right. Yeah. This was about three miles from where the spot, from where Dennis had vanished, and noticed an, they, they noticed an unkept man at the edge of the trees was something over his shoulder. They couldn't tell what it was, but that's just what they noticed. The FBI said this was impossible and it was too far away, so they didn't even inform the Martin family about this. They didn't tell them anything. And there was even a shoe print found uh, along the West Prong Creek. So it didn't say exactly how long this was, was it? I was wondering how long. No. If it was possible to travel three miles in that time limit, but it, I haven't seen it exact time. Yeah, they said it was, according to what they knew about the case, that it was 
approximately the same time Dennis disappeared. We're covering a lot of time here, but we're going to go back and plug in theories and different holes as we go along. Right. But we're going to sort of jump ahead. And there, Dale, there were several years afterward that an illegal ginseng hunter would come forward, claim that he found a skull and other remains of a small boy in the same vicinity. But the search of the area yielded no results, and many years later, after the incident, as a man had feared that he might be arrested for, you know, hunting or, finding, you know, digging ginseng illegally, right. um, you know, that's why he didn't come forward. Right, he wouldn't get in trouble. So a ranger named McCarter, that was his last name, I don't remember what his first name was, but I, I have read, read interviews with him. He said that the skull remains were allegedly found about three to three and a half miles downhill from where Dennis was last seen. So it could be possible. It, it could be. But, you know, like I said, there were 1,400 people in the woods. Trampling everything. And they covered about 56 square miles at that time. So it makes you wonder why they couldn't have found this boy or something. Right. The lead park investigators believe that Dennis got disoriented when he snuck off playing hide-and-seek, and he perished in the wild. But death could not have been caused by falling or drowning or an animal attack. The family believes that he was abducted as there was a road near the, the field. Right, and that's possible, I guess. It is very possible. Lots of different uh, outcomes, I guess. So this it makes you wonder if, you know, if, if their theory is correct, was there somebody there at the edge watching? Right. You know, you know, I've heard of people just hanging out, waiting for opportunity. Yeah, but walking all that way up that long hike up to that rugged just to hang out, it's pretty... Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was really warm. Yeah, I don't, I don't get that. Yeah, it's not like he's hanging out at Walmart. No. All right, Dale, like we said, this became one of the largest search efforts in National Park Service history. And it lasted from June until the first weeks of September that year in 1969. So this has been 50 years since this search unofficially ended. Right. And yet, despite comprehensive and grid searches and other efforts to find the missing boy, no tangible leads were ever uncovered that gave clear indications about Dennis's fate. Nothing. They didn't find anything. Because you would think that if an animal or a bear, or say a bear or a wild boar would have grabbed him, he would have gave out a curdling scream right then. Oh, yeah. And it wouldn't be just disappeared during the hide and seek game, not to be heard from or seen again. And, and there would have been blood. Yeah. Yeah, there would have been something, you know, if I would have been hiding right there, I would have given out a, a scream. Oh, something yeah. grabbed me. You know, anybody would have. But, you know, he just gone. Yeah. Dale, the most baffling aspect of this case is noted by Irma Martin. Dennis managed to disappear within just a few feet of his father and grandfather who had been calling out to him and searching for him within just minutes of last seeing him. Yeah, like I said, he was watching when he went in. Yeah. And how a child becomes so quickly lost and remained unseen or heard by those searching for him in such a short span of time is beyond perplexing. It's crazy. Uh, I don't know. It blows my mind. Because of this, even the Martin family have suspected over the years that a kidnapping might have occurred. While this theory remains popular today, there is limited evidence to, to support it. 
Despite this, a series of interviews and other information with key witnesses to what can be fairly deemed suspicious activity, which occurred within, a, within miles of Dennis's vanishing on the day of the disappearance. All right. There's not much evidence to support anything, though, actually, if you look at it that way. No, there is nothing. Like I said, this has been 50 years, a half a century. Nobody has come forward with anything except the ginseng hunter, which you know, I don't know if, how much you can believe that or not. Right. I just don't know. Because they never found anything when they went back to look, right? Nothing. Yeah. You, and you would think even, even today there would be something. But I've, I've heard and I've read, too, that, you know, when you're in an element like that, every year there is an inch of foliage dropped. So you're looking. So anything would be buried, really, unless it's just something very large. So yeah, you're looking in 50 years, 50 inches of, of foliage dropped in that time. That's a lot. Yeah, and to hide hide a lot of stuff. Even even if a bear would have taken Dennis or you know a wild boar or something, after a while it would have still been covered up. Yeah. And there would have been no remains of it. And all that rain um, could have washed away any blood that night. Yeah. So it's crazy. So man. being <clears throat> right at dark and all that rain, they were pretty pretty screwed off the bat. Yeah. It, having that rain that night, I think that hindered a lot. That's, that stopped that right there. Yeah, three inches is a lot of rain. Yeah. Let's go back to the, the Harold Key family that spotted an unkept man with something over his shoulder. Now, Key described what he thought was a middle-aged white male walking quickly through the woods in the direction of the road. They noticed that a man walked quickly to the road and entered a white vehicle and drove off at a high rate of speed, even throwing gravel in the air. So he's getting out of Dodge. Yeah, he's getting the heck out of Dodge. <coughs> the vehicle was heading in the direction of Cade's Cove, so it was heading back to where they had came from. And the man appeared to be, I don't know, kind of acting kind of nervous. Yeah, like from something, something's up. And Mr. Key even further recalled to his wife that the man, he is thinking strange thoughts. Numerous attempts have been made by individuals to obtain the FBI's records on this case, which would provide further details to the Martin family about the nature and what happened to Dennis. And several individuals, including... A reporter named Michael Bouchard have attempted to file freedom of information requests for the FBI's information on it, which have only been released in redacted form. So they get the information. They're getting forms with everything blacked out. Yeah, like like you know, you're getting some like it's a criminal case instead of a missing person. Yeah, like they're they're hiding something. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it makes you wonder what the heck's going on. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I've, you know, I've, I've read enough cases and I've watched enough stuff to know that, you know, when the FBI is involved, they don't, even with the disappearance, they don't get involved until... Way later. Yeah, way later. So they were involved right from the get-go. According to the FBI, the stated reason for the redactions is because the case is still technically open, despite the passing of 50 years. Wow. And with a few, if any, significant leads that might help bring a resolution to the case to the disappearance so i mean they they still say it's open 
Yeah. That that's that blows my mind. And I just want to know, you know, this unkept man that the Martin the the Key family saw. I would like to, you know, if they even give a description of what he might have had over his shoulder. Yeah, no idea. Well, he said he's a white car. He didn't even get a make or a model or nothing. So he, I'm sure he didn't get a good look at anything really. Mm-hmm. It's just very baffling to me. I don't I don't know how somebody can be there one second, go behind a little bit of foliage to hide, and then gone. Out of the four kids, he just disappeared. Mm-hmm. Now, like I said, I I have been to this area. It's been many years ago, and it is dense. It's not. I've seen pictures. So when they say Smithfield, it's not like you're looking out across the meadow with a little bit of weeds growing up. It's pretty thick. Yeah. yeah. But, but the the photographs I've seen online back then looked more open than it does now. Right. It looked it looked like a, a, a big clearing. So there's. There's been a lot of undergrowth so in 50 how much, years. how much growth is between this field and the Appalachian Trail? And how big is the trail? I've never seen any of this. So when they say the trail, is it just a footpath? This part of the Appalachian Trail is a footpath. Okay. It is not, you know, it's not like a highway or anything. It's so a they got the field and then there's a little bit of growth and then the path is on down in the woods. Yeah. That's it. I mean, it's just a little open, open patch in the, in the forest. That, you know, has a panoramic view of the Smoky Mountains. Right. So, you know, if Dennis was hiding, you know, he could have, he could have got disoriented, got up there on the trail and got turned around and couldn't find his way back. But you'd think him being that close would have yelled out. Right. That's what I was thinking. Maybe he fell or what, but he still would have yelled. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would think. I don't know. It's just strange that nothing, not even a sound. Nothing. So this is... This case here just blows my mind. I just I just feel bad for the the Martin family. Even Dennis's dad searched for years after this, and be hard to accept that. I mean, you know that you he's going to put it all on yourself. You think it's your fault. You mm-hmm. took him out. You you're looking after your kid, and it's the first time he goes out, and it's right at his birthday, and then he goes into into the woods for a second, and you're watching him. Yeah. Next thing you know, the other kids pop out, and he never does. You holler for him, and Nothing, no response, and nothing to this day. Yeah, he's gone. It's like just earth opened up and swallowed him up. Yeah, and, and you know, like I said, this this area is deep ravines, uh, craggy cliffs. So, you know, he could have fell off something. He could have went down, and they not even hurt him. So, you know, and like I said too, you know, the storm that night. You know, if the wind was blowing. If the wind was blowing in the right direction, they, it might have muffled his him yelling. Right. <clears throat> so that's just crazy. Yeah. But we want everybody, you know, listen to this podcast to weigh in, tell us what you think might have happened to Dennis. Yeah, there's been a lot of conspiracies, but I think most of them has been debunked. Yeah, there's been yeah a lot of you know people talking about aliens and Bigfoot and different things, but you know when you get down to the facts, you know I think the Harold Key information have you know seeing that in unkept man i think that lead that's that's big key right there to the whole thing yeah i think so especially if he's headed to his car that fast to get out of dodge he, he either knew something or saw something or he was part of it yeah all right guys we're gonna wrap this episode up tell us what you think uh check out our social media links if you've gotten a t-shirt from us or a sticker tag us in it 
Yep. Send it to us. We'll post it if you don't want to tag us. Yeah. Send us a photo. That's it. And we do have uh, some shirts on the way. We've got that going. It shouldn't be too much longer. We've been working with our printing folk, and it should be pretty soon, Dale. Yep. Shout out to CVC. Working hard on that. They are. Anything else, Dale, you got? No, I'm just still baffled by all this. It just it just blows my mind. There's no more information out there. This Bouchard guy's talked to everybody who's still living. He's still currently digging into it now, and there's still not much more than there was 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. All right, guys. Pretty sad. Yep. We want everyone to be safe. Be careful out there. And always be aware of your surroundings. Because the next episode could be about you. This is The The Crack Crack House Chronicles. Chronicles.